We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo sports talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in. Whether you're watching this on the video side, checking us out on YouTube, which if you are, please make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps us continue to grow the channel on the video side. Or, of course, for the majority of you who are listening in audio podcast form, wherever you get your podcasts, I appreciate you all very, very much. Thank you again for tuning in today. This is our uh, Buffalo Bills film and PFF grades analysis for week nine, a Buffalo Bills six-point loss on Sunday night at Cincinnati. I've been doing this, I don't want to say every week, because last week we didn't do one. Instead, we did a Bills midseason award show uh, during the middle of the week because the Bills had played all the way in the previous Thursday night at home against Tampa Bay. But we've done this for the majority of the season. And to reiterate how this goes, I had an opportunity throughout the day on Monday and into the evening on Monday to watch the coaches all 22 film of the Bills Bengals game. Um, I got a chance to really dive into pro football focus, premium stats section, lots of numbers uh, to go over. And then I take those, I take what I've seen from the film. I take what I uh, got out of looking at the grades and studying those a little bit and just offering you my final opinions on the game. I, I say this every week. I'm going to say it again right now. This isn't really an educational episode, so to speak. You hear the word film study, PFF grades analysis. You might be thinking education. Definitely not the case with this podcast. Like I always say, um, if you want to know about schemes, if you want to know about zone coverages and all kinds of fancy, you know, advanced stats and metrics, go check out Eric Turner and Anthony Prohaska from Cover One. They simply do an incredible job of breaking down film, going over concepts, all kinds of things, types of defenses that I would never in a million years be able to explain to you. So go check those guys out for that. Or um, the workhorse, Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. 
those guys are just elite when it comes to that. What I do with this episode is I take my instant in the moment thoughts and observations from the game. And then I kind of watch the film and look at the grades and it either strengthens an opinion that I previously had, or maybe in some cases after seeing some film, I might loosen an opinion, maybe even change an opinion that I had previously had. It could be wrong about some things when you first see them uh, with the naked eye. So that's what today's all about. Uh, the typical usual format is I got three primary big takeaways from this game, and then I'll just scatter on through the positions, drop a couple numbers on you, a couple PFF grades, give you some of my own personal thoughts. In some cases, after watching some tape along the way, and then I'll uh, get you out of here. This won't be a terribly long episode. Before I get going, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Got to be completely honest. I am at this point, and I'm taping this really, really late Monday night into early Tuesday morning. I, I say that for two reasons. Number one, if anything on Tuesday goes out with the Bills on the injury front or anything like that, it's already been I've already taped this show, so there won't be any mention of that. This is also the third uh, Bills Bengals post game podcast that I've recorded now in pretty much about 24 hours or so following the game. Uh, the last two nights, I've had Tone Pucks on with me, and we've broken this game down from as many angles as we're capable of. And we also, especially on Tuesday's show, spent a good chunk of time talking about potential things to happen in the future with the Bills, with the salary cap. But I'll deep dive into stuff because we're not going to get too into the weeds with the offseason when there's still plenty of season left here in 2023 for the Buffalo Bills. But we at least kind of started to, to paint a little bit of picture of things that might go down. And Tone had some really good, if you didn't listen to the episode, please go back and listen because Tone had some really interesting thoughts on a future dynamic and maybe even a, a clash or two along the way coming between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott when it comes to the construction of this roster potentially going forward after the season. But anyway, go back and check that out if you didn't already watch or listen. As for today, again, after watching the film, after looking at the PFF grades a lot, um, the three biggest takeaways I have, which I'm going to be honest with you with this first one, this was an instant in the moment thought, didn't need to go watch any film to see this other than to reset the time, the down, the distance, and the personnel that was in before the play. Uh, my first biggest takeaway is, I don't know if it's Sean McDermott. I don't know if it's Eric Washington's call. I don't know who's responsible for putting out the, the defensive line settings on specific plays. But it's third down and three. You absolutely need a stop or literally the football game is over. Since he's got the ball, it's third and three from the Buffalo 36-yard line. Coming out of the two-minute warning, the Bills have no more timeouts. They obviously need to stop. And again, is it Sean? Is it Eric? I don't know. But whoever is responsible for putting Vaughn Miller on the field on that play is out of their mind. I probably, maybe more than any one specific play other than Sean McDermott's ridiculous challenge to, to burn and waste a timeout, with about six minutes left on an incomplete pass on a first down play that was only good for about eight and a half yards to begin with. Besides that, I am more dumbfounded about this than any other single item from this entire game. And I'm not no Vaughn Miller hater. I love Vaughn Miller. I understand 
you are desperately trying to get back a guy that you got millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in, a guy that is desperately working his ass off to get back to 100% and being the Vaughn Miller that he was pre-ACL, that same guy who had eight sacks before Thanksgiving last year. But it's just not there. It's not there right now. He had 24 reps. That's, this was his 24th rep of the game. His previous 23 didn't even register a tackle. Wasn't even in the stat line for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night. And with the game on the line and your defense literally in do or die, you have Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd out there in third and three. First of all, it's highly suspect that Joe Burrow is going to throw the football. I'm not saying it was impossible, but highly doubtful. And of course, they didn't. And if he does throw the ball, Joe Burrow, who is one of the most composed, poised quarterbacks in the NFL, the last thing he's doing is taking a sack. It's just not going to happen. And the Bills bring out Vaughn Miller along with Leonard Floyd. And sure as shit, Joe Mixon, they run the ball directly at Vaughn. He lunges in, gets caught off the edge. Mixon gets outside. Josh Norman can't get up to make the play. Yes, I said Josh Norman in the game as well. And a critical down in distance. And boom, that's a wrap. That's the ball game. I am having a hard time stomaching this 24, 30 hours later that that's the personnel, which is crazy because on first and second down, and I had to go back and watch the film just to be sure. On first and second down, the Bills, no one in Cincinnati is going to run, bring out Greg Rizzo and A.J. Epinesa. And then on third down, you bring your pass rushers in. The ball was on the Buffalo 36. Worst case, Cincinnati gets stopped at the line of scrimmage or they don't get the first down. They run the clock down to about a minute 20 or so. They punt, they pin the Bills back because they certainly weren't going to try no 54-yard field goal. If they miss, they're giving the ball to the Bills on about the 44, 45-yard line. That wasn't going to happen. Now with a minute 20 left still in the game. The Bengals are going to pin punt and try to pin them back with a punt. And you bank on them. First of all, and, and, and if, if Burrell does throw, are you trying to tell me that A.J. Epinesa can't get to the quarterback or Greg Rousseau can't get to the quarterback or these big, tall guys who literally knock down passes? That's not who you're going with off the edge in a critical play. You're going with Vaughn Miller. Vaughn Miller. The same Vaughn Miller who didn't even register a stat for the entire game. It's just awful, awful, awful personnel managing and coaching. Whether it's Washington, whether it's McDermott, whether it's both of them, whoever put those two guys on the field for that down and distance, absolutely insane. That's one. Number two, watching the film and Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills pointed out a great stat. The Bills blitzed a lot. 30% of passing downs, they blitzed Joe Burrow. I just don't think that's how you beat the Bengals. Now, credit to the defense. They did only allow three points in the second half. That deserves to be pointed out. But I will also say this to you. I think to some extent, the Bengals were content to take their foot off the gas. We literally, Buffalo literally just did this a week ago against Tampa Bay. They were smacking them, and they kind of took their foot off the gas, and the Bills offense, who looked really good in the first half against Tampa, basically did nothing in the second half. In fact, I think they also only got a few goals, just like the Bengals did this week. I think that's what the case was. I think if Cincinnati made one mistake, any mistake during this game, it might have been taking their foot off the gas 
a little bit. That's not to say that no one on the Bills stepped up and made some plays on defense because they did. But I think to some extent, Cincinnati took their foot off the gas. But anyway, I don't think you beat, I don't think you beat the Bengals by Bits and Blitz and Joe Burrow, which scares me because that just shows that Sean McDermott, who is calling the plays and running the defense. This, there's no, you know, when you talk about the offense, you could debate how much of any input Sean McDermott has into what's going on during the game on the offensive side. But we all know what's going on on the defensive side and who's in charge of that, and it's Sean. But there's just no faith in the front four to be able to get after Joe Burrow and create better with four because they're blitzing 30% of the time, five or six guys. And the reason why I say that is this, and you can see it on film. You look at this Bill's secondary and guys like Dane Jackson and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, both are still good safeties, instinctive safeties, but let's not kid ourselves here. That foot speed really ain't there no more. Teron Johnson, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, and maybe Eric or Joe might disagree, and, and they would know better than me, but he's more of a zone cover guy in, in the slot. Covers ground, not necessarily players. It just doesn't feel like a defense personnel-wise in the secondary that is suited for man-to-man -man coverage. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at right now. But when you're blitzing like this, there's not a lot of zone coverage. They're playing a lot more man than they want. And you saw in film, some guys getting beat. Micah Hyde got beat two or three times. Uh, Teron Johnson got beat a couple times. They played terrible, but got beat a couple times. Uh, I think Jordan Boyer got beat on one pass on a blitz. I just don't think that the personnel that you have in the secondary is really conducive to, to blitzing a lot. And I know Sean McDermott wants to be aggressive, and it's the complete opposite of what we have with Leslie Frazier. But the thing is, is I look at this defense especially when healthy and maybe not so much now because they're down to third string guys in, you know, in some instances. But Leslie Frazier's defense was predicated on bending but not breaking, zone defense, keeping the guys in front of you. That's what I feel the secondary is aiming to be. But when you're blitzing a lot, you're taking a lot of chances. And they're bringing up guys too, corners blitzing and stuff. It just, it didn't work. It didn't work. Joe Burrow only got sacked once. 21 points in the first half, easy 21. Then they take their foot off uh, the gas. So that befuddled me a little bit. And then the last thing, and you really see this when, when you put on the tape, man, everything, not even just this game, for a, a pretty much since the Miami game, to be honest with you, except for a couple stretches here, everything on the Bills' offense just looks like a complete and total grind, a slog. It's like every blade of grass on the field is being defended, no matter who they're playing against right now. Nothing is coming easy. Drives are long, methodical, with the exception of that first drive, that 85-yard uh, first drive of the game, freaking sweet. And then they get 37 yards for the rest of the first half. There's just something about this offense right now. Anthony Brohaska from Cover 1 put out a great tweet after the game. I had retweeted it immediately after. I don't remember... The whole context of the tweet. Actually, I got some of it from you. I just wanted to read that last paragraph because I want to make sure I get this right. This is in regards to the Bills offense. He said, everything just feels hard. The flow feels tight. Like you've turned the handle on the faucet all the way up, but there's barely any water coming out. That is spot on. Especially, I mean, he was talking about the whole team. I'm thinking specifically with this offense right now. There's no creativity. There's no imagination. How often do you see a Buffalo Bill guy go in motion? When is the last time Deontay Hardy, more on him in a few minutes, by the way, ran a jet sweep? When is the last time James Cook, a really talented running back, comes out of the backfield and runs some kind of wheel route or lines up 
to the far right and you get some kind of formation where you could get him one-on-one -on -one with a linebacker. Where's that creativity? Where's that imagination in this offense? It's not there. Everything just feels slow and methodical. And to some extent, and I am not excusing Josh Allen. We'll talk about him in just a quick second here because he made a couple brutal mistakes. And I'm not excusing him at all. But I will say that maybe that slow, methodical slog uh, of an offense right now has him getting impatient and not at some point wanting to take a check down and locking in on one player and trying to get him the ball. And bad things are happening because of that mindset. And I think that at least to some extent, even though he's the one physically screwing up and throwing ugly interceptions right now, I think to some extent, this offense and the way it's designed right now is frustrating him. It's frustrating him. That's my thought anyway. So those are my three big takeaways. Uh, bonus takeaway too. So many PFF grades. Then I say this every week. You got to take all these grades with a grain of salt. But if you're going to tout a player and talk them up because the grades are good, you got to do the same thing when they're bad. If a grade's good, you can't talk a guy up. And then if a PFF grade's bad, you say, oh, this is bullshit. His grade's bad. He played way better than that. No, you got to take the good with the bad when it comes to PFF. And I say that because, at least on the defensive side, there are a couple guys who had much higher grades than, based on what I saw with my naked eye during the game and watching some film after, a uh, little bit mysterious to me. Anyway, real quick break here. I'm going to come back, and I'm just going to fly through some of these positions and have some grades, some numbers, and some thoughts on each of them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And I am back here breaking down my observations from the Buffalo Bills game film and PFF grades analysis from the Bills week nine loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. Anyway, quarterback Josh Allen stats 26 to 38 for 258 with a touchdown, a pick um, first half, terrible nine of 15 for 120 and an interception uh, 82.4 overall grade which I mentioned this in the in the first half of the show with some PFF grades. To me, that feels a little bit generous. I didn't think he played that well. 73.7 passing grade, 
Only sacked once, but he was pressured 17 times, five scrambles, which is a, a season high. So statistically speaking, this was like a, a middle-of-the-pack game for him. And I think I could buy that. I mean, he wasn't horrible like he was in the Jets game or for at least the first half of the Patriots game or kind of the second half of the Tampa Bay game or the second half of the, you know, the first half of the Giants game a couple weeks ago. Kind of middle of the road. I will say, though, there were two plays that stood out like a sore thumb to me um, with Josh Allen that when you watch it on film, you realize just how bad both plays were. One of them was the interception, which, I mean, we all saw that on TV. It's a bad throw, a bad read, a bad decision. We already knew that. But when you watch it on the film, you see two things. Number one, James Cook on this play slips out to the backfield. And this was, I believe, a it was a second down pass, I believe. I, I think it was like second and 10 on this play. James Cook slips out of the backfield uncovered. I mean, he's only at the line of scrimmage, but Josh Allen easily could have dumped it off to him and he's got room to run. Worst case, you're probably setting up a third and short. That's worst case. That's if he doesn't get the first down. Dalton Kincaid was also a couple yards in front of him. Could have went to him, either or. But he doesn't look that way. From pre-snap until when the ball snapped until when he releases that ball, even almost like half-pumped it once, he never looked at another receiver other than Gabe Davis. I mean, he stared him down. He stared down the barrel of Gabe Davis from the time that ball hit his hand in the snap. Never was going anywhere else with it. Stephon Diggs ran a, a quick out on the outside. You might have even been able to throw it to him for a couple of yards. This is one of those cases, and we saw it against the Jets going back to the first game of the season where Josh is forcing shit, and that's exactly what he did on this throw. He was going to Gabe Davis 100% of the 100% of the way. He was never going anywhere else. Should have dumped the ball off to James Cook. So he makes a bad decision, and he makes it even a worse throw. Easy, easy interception for uh, the Bengals. A pretty big one as well. And this is the fifth straight game now where Josh Allen has thrown a pick. That's one play. Another play was Deontay Hardy went deep. And Josh tried to throw it to him and didn't even come close to, to connecting. And I get really annoyed when I think about Deontay Hardy. More on that again in a second, though. But anyway, on that specific play, Gabe Davis came off the line, ran it out, and probably was nobody within six to seven yards of him if Josh Allen took the six, seven-yard pass to Gabe Davis, who turns it up and is almost a lock to get a first down. But no. Again, from the snap, Josh Allen knew pre-snap he was going deep to Deontay Hardy. Never even looked, never even put his eyes for a second on Gabe Davis. Chucked it deep to Deontay Hardy, and, and it wasn't even close. So I, I guess what I'm saying right now with Josh Allen, from what I'm seeing, and again, I'm no expert like some of these other guys, but I, I think I know enough about football and watching it with my own eyes is Josh Allen is getting a little bit of tunnel vision at times. You know, you go back to coming off that Jets game and against the Raiders and against Washington, kind of taking what the defense was giving them, really effective, going through his reads, hitting the second, the third option a lot, including the Miami game too, where he actually mixed in some deep shots with some really smart quarterback, an intelligent quarterback. In fact, his best game of the year, one AFC 
Offensive Player of the Week. Now Josh Allen is disappearing again. Because now you're seeing Josh Allen, Harold Josh at times, forcing balls, um, tunnel vision, not looking anywhere else, kind of figuring out I'm going here before the snap, and I hope this play works. That's what it looks like in the passing game right now. Not that pretty. Again, did he play terrible? No. He came on the second half, played much better, especially down the stretch. I feel like he, his quarterback and gave the Bills a chance to, to, to steal this game at the end. But these stretches that you can see on film where he's just staring down receivers and not looking at guys who are open is worrisome. Let's just put it that way. Running backs, I'm not really, there's not much to say. What are you going to say about the running backs? They didn't do shit. James Cook, six carries, 20 yards, four catches for 19 yards. Um, the only issue I had with James Cook was on one of the receptions. He could have easily gotten a first down if he would have just put his shoulder down and tried to uh, be physical to get the first down, but he's a little bit dancing, shaking and baking, and he got tackled relatively easy. That's the one thing about James Cook's game that I don't like, and I don't want to see that. Put your damn head down, your shoulder down, I should say, and go get you a first down. Have recognition of where that marker is, where you're on the field at all times. But anyway, kind of a non-factor. Latavius Murray, two carries, four yards, uh, one catch for six yards. People are wondering why he's out there so much. And I think it's just because Josh trusts him. Sean McDermott trusts him. He's not going to fumble the ball. He will not go backwards if there's any blocking anyway. He's not going to bust one, but he's not going to go backwards. Relatively decent hands out of the backfield. And he's a good pass blocker. Whereas James Cook is an absolutely horrible pass blocker. James Cook's strength is getting the ball in space. And if he's not going to carry the ball 15 times to 20 times a game, which he's not going to a lot of the time, because that's not the kind of offense I think that the Bills, or at least that you want to run. I don't know what Sean wants to do out here, but Sean, or James Cook's strength is in the passing game and getting the ball, hitting the holes, getting outside. Latavius Murray, complete opposite, but James Cook can't pass block, and that's why he's losing a lot of these reps. Um, I, I don't know, but Latavius Murray looks a little bit gassed to me. I, I'm wondering... If Leonard Fournette season, so to speak, is coming soon. Tone Fox had a great reference for uh, <laughs> Leonard Fournette. He's known as Playoff Lenny because of the playoffs he had with Tampa a couple years ago. Really good playoff. Tone called him in the hunt, Lenny. I thought that was kind of funny because the Bills right now are only in the hunt. But anyway, I think you might see Leonard Fournette up with this team pretty soon. You'll see Ty Johnson get released. And maybe Leonard Fournette could be what they were hoping to get out of Damian Harris. Uh, wide receivers, Stefan Diggs, another great game, six catches, 86 yards and a touchdown, two-point conversion, uh, 86.4 overall grade is was the highest on any one of the Bills' offense. Second best for him personally this season, only the Miami game was higher, 41 yards after the catch. Uh, took 14 snaps in the slot, 30 wide, kind of like that mixture, but again, no motion with him. I want to see this guy in motion. I want to see him line up a couple times as a halfback in the backfield. Seen it a couple weeks ago. None of that with Stefan. That's on Ken Dorsey. Um, Gabe Davis. Look, you can do a whole episode on Gabe Davis right now. It is so frustrating. You, they just, this team, I don't know if it's the team. I don't know if it's him. They can't make it work, him being the number wide two, number two wide receiver. It's just not working. Two targets, zero catches. He had no catches in this game. Not one. Two weeks ago. One catch for five yards. In between that sandwich, nine catches for 87 yards and a touchdown against Tampa. Like, who's the real Gabe Davis here? And whose fault is it 
that every other game, this guy's catching one pass or no pass. It's frustrating. I'm sure it's frustrating to him too. I, I just, I don't know, man. He's had this season five or less targets in six of his nine games. He's had three catches or less in six of his nine games. Going back over the last two years, he's only had 100 yards of receiving, 100 yards or more receiving, I should say, only two times in his last 31 uh, games. It's just not, it's not good enough, man. It's not good enough. 49.4, that was his overall grade on Sunday night, which was the lowest of anyone on the offense against the Bengals. And then when you watch the film, I got to be honest with you, and I'm a Gabe Davis guy, man. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm a Gabe Davis dude. I've been on this dude's side for quite a while. But you watch the film, and he's just not open that much. hes I don't know, man. I'm not saying he's a lazy route runner, but his route tree really is not that good. There's not a lot of separation. It just doesn't seem like he has a lot of separation. And the only passes where he could even be open are these little dump-offs. Kind of, well, it was effective with these bubble screens and stuff against the Buccaneers. But I don't know, man. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm at a point where as much as I like Gabe, maybe give me some more Deontay Hardy and two receiver sets even, or three receiver sets where he's the outside guy. Get Dave Dick Davis on the sidelines for some reps. Let Trent Shurfield get out there. See what he could do. Just not getting the production you need from Gabe Davis. It's frustrating, but that's where we're at with him. And speaking of frustrating, I've mentioned him a couple times. Deontay Hardy played three pass snaps. The one deep ball, two others. That's it. This is the guy that you signed on day one of a free agency to a, what, a two-year, $12 million deal, something big like that. He got some relatively big money, and he's playing three pass snaps. And a game that you're losing. You're losing, so you're chucking the ball. And this guy's got three pass snaps? Are you kidding me? And they barely played any 12 personnel, too. That's inexcusable to me. That's on your coordinator. That's on Ken Dorsey. This guy's got too much speed, too much agility in the open field to, to be useless. Because that's what Deontay Hardy is right now to this team is useless. And it's not because he's a useless player. It's because Ken Dorsey is rendering him useless. It is beyond frustrating. I thought worst case, he would be as good, if not better than Isaiah McKenzie. And he hasn't been. And I don't put that on him. I put it on the coaches and I put it on the game plans and I put it on the play calling. It's just brutal. Uh, Khalil Shakir, four catches, 57 yards. He's definitely separated himself now as that starting slot receiver in three receiver sets, a uh, 69.8 receiving grade. You know, I, I feel like there's more, even more targets out there for him going forward. He could be that, that Cole Beasley that they're looking for. So that's a, a piece of good news, but I'm really frustrated and pissed off, quite frankly, about the usage of uh, Deontay Hardy. Tight end, Dalton Kincaid, uh, a great game. 10 catches, 81 yards, great plays. Did have his first drop of the season, and of course, a huge fumble late in the fourth quarter. Look, though, it's just one of those plays, and it sucks, but he's trying to make a play for his team who's down. He's a rookie. Even if he's not a rookie, that could happen to an eighth year. That could happen to Travis Kelsey. Guy's a winner. He's a gamer. Trying to make a play. Take your hat off to the Bengals defender. I think it was Pratt. Just an outstanding play. Punched the ball perfect while the guy's you know in midair, halfway upside down, man. Just a great defensive play from the Bengals. I got no beef with Dalton Kincaid, man. I think this kid is starting to uh, to become a star. And then his PFF grade for what it's worth, and who gives a shit, 72.4 um, in the passing grade. So pretty good grades for him. 
10 catches, a career high, obviously, and a, and a team high for this game. Big fan of Dalton Kincaid. And I think we're at a point now where he's clearly become the second best receiver on this team. He has easily supplanted uh, Gabe Davis in recent weeks. Offensive line, eh, not great, not terrible. Uh, Mitch Morris, nice bounce back game from him. He had a 84.6 pass blocking grade, which was his best of the season. Uh, only 57.2 run block. Who gives a shit about the run block? Because the Bills didn't run the freaking football enough to, to have any meaningful uh, run blocking grades. Spencer Brown, 65.5 pass blocking. Uh, he did give up Josh Allen's lone sack. Connor McGovern struggled, 58.9. PFF pass blocking grade. Deion Dawkins, who, by the way, looked like he almost, almost had a false start about 20 times during the game, but didn't call for it once. 51.7 pass block grade. Gave up six pressures. That's not good. Uh, that's that's a grade for him. That's right up there with the Jacksonville game among his worst so far this season. And speaking of worst of the season, oof, a bad game, both with the PFF grades and watching on film with the rookie Osiris Torrance, not good. 34.5 pass blocking grade, a 50 overall grade. Gave up five pressures. Far and away his worst game uh, as a pro, both in uh, – both in grades and watching the film too. Just a, a, a forgettable game for the rookie. But again, he is a rookie and it's one that you hope he uh, he learns from. I'm going to fly through the defensive side here because I got to tell you, the defense gave up 21 points against the Bengals in the first half, but they did tighten things up in the second half. Again, I think the Bengals took their foot off the gas a little bit, but you still got to give a decimated defense who suffered even more injuries on Sunday uh, you got to give them a lot of credit. Tim Settle, 90.3 overall grade. And I said this, I was like, really? Tim Settle had 90.3 overall grade? Apparently, corner BFF, he was good. I personally didn't see all that much. He did have two hurries and a nice quarterback hit and a bullshit, bullshit personal foul penalty for uh, roughing the passer. Played 25 snaps. This is the one I didn't get. And I'm sorry, folks. I know there's a lot of Ed Oliver fans, including this one right here. But... At Oliver, 45 snaps, he had an 85.1 overall grade, 75.2 against the run, uh, 75.6 passing. With the naked eye and watching some all 22, that just, just it just feels like um, he didn't play that well. In fact, I watching the game with the Bucks, and, and I accused that Oliver of having a disappearing act like he did in the playoff game against the Bengals last year. I, Based on what I saw, I really did not think this was a good game for Matt Oliver. PFF apparently... Uh, disagrees. The new guy, Laval Joseph, played 30 snaps. That's surprising. I thought he would give them maybe 10 to 15 snaps. Didn't think he played 30, which is 43% of the Bills' uh, defensive snaps. 67.2 run grade. Nice debut for the team. A beautiful, I think it was second second in inches, and Joe Burrow tried to quarterback sneak and almost got earth slam by Linval, which, by the way, that set up a third and short, which became a penalty on Cincinnati, and they ended up punting that drive. So that stop was actually really big. Linval Joseph, in his Bills debut, was responsible for uh, making the Bengals punt on a possession. So a, a good debut for him, and I think you'll see a lot more of him uh, going forward. Jordan Phillips, 40 snaps, 66.8 overall grade, had a half a sack. And hey, didn't have any big missed tackles and didn't have a stupid penalty. So that's always good for uh, for Jordan Phillips. On the edge, Greg Rizzo, 30 snaps, 89.6 overall. That's, again, that's a really high grade. Hit two quarterback hits. Um, yeah, I know he had a pass knockdown. Thought he was decent. 
I thought he should have, his ass should have been out there on third and three, too. I still can't believe he took Rizzo on and put Paul Miller, and it's unbelievable. Speaking of Vaughn, 24 snaps, 44.1 overall grade, second worst on the Bills defense, 55.4 pass rush. Look, I got no problem with getting Vaughn Miller his reps. You, that's the way you're going to get him to 100%. If getting him out there during games instead of practices is the only way you're going to get him up to speed eventually down the stretch, I get it. You got to do it. Just don't do it in the game's most critical moments, literally. And that's what this uh, coaching staff did. Inexcusable. Uh, Leonard Floyd, 35 snaps. He had a half sack. He's up to seven on the season to lead the Bills. He was decent. A.J. Epinesa, 31 snaps, uh, 57.7 run grade. Hey, he was all right, man. A.J. Epinesa had like a really blazing start to the season for the Bills, but he's kind of fallen back in recent weeks to – I don't want to say to what he used to be because, you know, I don't say that to be insulting. He did have six and a half sacks last year, but it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen an impactful play from AJ Epinesa, who had a ton of them early in the season. So hopefully he can get that back soon. Uh, Shaq Lawson played 16 snaps, including one in pass covers that I don't ever want to see again. <laughs> 34.1 overall grade, which was the worst on the defense. 51.1 run, 51.4 pressure. Nah, he's the fifth guy on the defensive line or end rotation. Is what it is. Linebackers, Terrell Bernard played 30 snaps before he got hurt. He's in concussion protocol. Don't know any other thing further about his status as of Monday, but obviously it's extremely worrisome. I'll give Tyrell Dotson some credit here. I lambasted him on Twitter during the first half. I have a couple of mistakes. I'll tell you what, he played pretty well. I would say him or Dane Jackson might have been the Bills' best player on defense on Sunday. Neither. Is a guy who should even be starting, but you know, it is what it is. 79.3 overall grade, 89.4 against the run. Really good there. Uh 66.3 coverage. A strong game for Tyrell Dodson. Give you a little bit of hope there. Uh Dorian Williams, who very clearly Sean McDermott doesn't want to play, ain't got no choice right now. Don't even have a choice because Bernard's hurt. We already know Milano's gone. You already got Dodson in there. Mantegovich is a special teams guy, and AJ Klein was out with an injury. He didn't even dress for this game. So, Dorian Williams, 31 snaps, 53.6 overall grade, 45.0 grade in coverage, a liability. He did give up a, a pass along the sidelines. I don't know. I'm at a point now where, and we've been saying this for weeks, I'd rather him play because I want to see, I want him to learn because I think he's got all the athletic traits, the physical traits, but he's making mistakes and he's hurting the football team in doing so. So, it's a really tough line for Sean to be able to to juggle there. Um, in the secondary here, winding down, Dane Jackson, I mentioned him. I thought he was fantastic. All season long, he hasn't really been tested. And those tests, it came a lot against the Bengals. And I think he answered the bell pretty damn well. He was targeted seven times or 10 times, gave up five catches for 71 yards, just two for 32 with Jamar Chase was matched up with him. A couple really nice pass breakups to, to actually to save at least one off the top of my head. And I think two touchdowns, potential touchdowns, 75.8 coverage grade. Um, the best on the team, other than Cam Lewis, only played two snaps, so he doesn't even count. So Dane Jackson had a really good game. Christian Benford played 34 snaps, uh, 58.4 overall grade. He was all right. Two for two on targets, but he only gave up 18 yards. Unfortunately, in the second half, he pulled the hamstring, which is, uh, I, at this point, a recurrent injury for him. So... Who knows how that's going to play out. Fortunately, they did trade for Rasul Douglas, who made his debut for the Bills. He played 42 snaps. Again, Joseph, 30 snaps. 
Douglas, 42 snaps, way more than I think you would have expected for two guys who literally just had two practices with the team. Um, Douglas was fine. All things especially considered three targets, two catches for 20 yards. He was fine. Uh, Teron Johnson was fine. He's all right. I, I, you know, I've talked about this in recent weeks. He's a great player. One of the most underrated slot corners in the league. When you look at his totality and what he's done in past years, and even for a lot of this year, he is a great football player. But I'm going to tell you, man, he's been struggling over the last couple of weeks. Maybe not so much in this game. Targeted five times, gave up three catches for 46 yards. Two of them were 15 and 32-yard passes. So we got beat on significant passes twice, um, but his grades were okay. And I mean, again, he's still, even when he struggles a little bit, to me, he's among the least, uh, at least of the Bills' problems on a decimated uh, defense. Safeties, I, I thought it was a pretty rough night for the safeties, especially in the first half. Uh, Jordan Poyer, 56.5 overall grade, 72.7 against the run, which is really good. 84 tackle, really good. Uh, 52.7 coverage, not great. Targeted five times, gave up four catches for 49 yards. I mean, he didn't kill the defense by any means, but I don't know. He's had... Previous his previous two games were were fantastic, and he was just meh. He was out there. He's one of eleven on Sunday night. And Mike Hyde, I think it was a rough night for uh, the Bills' safety in every way. Fifty-one point seven overall grade, which is his worst of the season. He had a thirty-eight point two run grade because he missed a couple tackles. And I'll tell you, as good as Mike Hyde is, that's kind of been an issue this year. I mean, it's been an issue for several Bills, but he's kind of stuck out to me. Mike Hyde's missed too many tackles this year. Uh, he was targeted three times, gave up three catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Um, his catches went for 21, 17, and 22 yards. So he gave up three pretty chunky plays, and then he got a next digger at the end of the game. Obviously, you hope he's okay. Rough game aside, Micah Hyde is obviously critical to uh, this defense going forward. And I don't think I need to tell you, they cannot afford to lose Micah Hyde for any sustained uh, length of time. They just can't. And Taylor Rapp got some snaps, 23, high 50s overall grade, and his coverage grade was meh. It was fine. But now I'm still waiting for something out of Taylor Rapp. He was a free agent signing that I was very excited for. To me, worst case, he's really good insurance for Hyde Employer. This is what I thought going into camp. Um, realistically, I'm like, he's going to play some nickel or definitely some dime. He's going to have an impact out there. But truth be told, we're nine games in. And we're all still waiting for Taylor Rapp to do something. And that something definitely did not come uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Two things here to wrap up that um, final conclusion time. I'm annoyed at Sean McDermott. I, the coaching part is obvious. Again, the Vaughn Miller thing, the wasted timeout, some game management. I'm not even talking about that, though. What I'm annoyed about more than anything with Sean McDermott, and this is a trend that maybe I'm reading the tea leaves wrong. I said this on Twitter. But I'm starting to see more and more of Sean McDermott without necessarily fully saying it, insinuating that this is on the players and taking them a lot of accountability and throwing it on them and not enough on himself. And I talked about this with Tom Bucks on yesterday's show. He's bringing up the words execution a lot. He talked about the turnovers, the two turnovers, and you know, getting away from their winning formula of offense. He's mentioned complimentary football a lot. And it's not that he's necessarily even wrong. It's not even that he's wrong. It's 
I want to hear accountability from the coach and, and tone bucks completely disagree with me. And maybe if you're watching or listening, you do as well, but I'd love to hear him say, you know what? We got to play better. We got to coach better. We got to call better plays. We got to put this team in better position. We can't come out of the flat like they did in London, like they did in Foxborough, like they did at home against the lowly New York Giants. I want to hear more coaching accountability from him. Call your staff out. Call yourself out as well when you're kind of throwing these little, you know, underground digs at some of the players. I don't like that shit. That's annoying me. And I'd be willing to bet money. I know for a fact, I can't speak of this year, but I know for a fact there's players over the last one or two seasons who have played for Sean McDermott who've been pretty turned off by the way he kind of calls out players and, and doesn't really accept accountability for his own shortcomings during games or during management times. Um, so that really annoys me, if not pisses me off. And then the last thing, I, I hate saying this, it's, it's getting a little bit, I don't want to say easier to, to take these losses. I think maybe I'm just getting used to them because not even that, you know, four losses is not that it's all that much, although they're only five and four. I could just feel my expectations week after week uh, lowering. I, I, I said this leading up to the show. I haven't went into a football game where I did not expect the Buffalo Bills to win at kickoff. I'd have to go all the way back to the 2020 AFC Championship game in Kansas City where I thought the Bills did a really good job and it was their first year in a title game. I thought just to get there was a victory and uh, I thought the Chiefs would win that game convincingly, and they did. But since that game, and they've played the Chiefs on the road twice, they played the Bengals on the road, they played the Bengals in the playoffs, they played a lot of good football teams. I have never went into a game since that AFC Championship title game thinking that the Bills are going to lose until Sunday night. I had the Bengals winning by two scores. That was my pregame prediction. I don't know. I, I just, at this point, I think part of it is resigning myself to the feeling that as things stand right now, as things stand right now, the last two to three years through all the struggles, you know, 2021, they were only seven and six. And I know a lot of people are hanging on to that. And I don't blame you. If you're a Bills fan, you should. You should be optimistic. Hold on to that. They were only seven and six in 2021 before they went on a really good run and probably go to the Super Bowl war not for 13 seconds. I get that. And even last year, they lose three games, but only by eight points. And despite all the injuries and all, you know, the crazy shit with Hamlin and the blizzard and the weather and all that stuff, I still felt the Bills were a Super Bowl team. Right now, I don't feel like the Bills are a Super Bowl team. And I'm just being completely transparent and honest with you. I'm not doing this podcast to, to generate likes. I'm doing this to be honest, just like on Twitter. I'm going to put shit out there in hopes that you're going to hit that like button. I mean, if you want to, you can, and I appreciate it, but I'm just being honest with myself. And by doing that, I'm being honest with you. It's not a Super Bowl team right now. It's just not. There's too many issues with this football team. Um, and I think the fact that, and I'm still bothered, I'm, I'm triggered. I'm not even going to lie. I'm triggered about this Cincinnati loss because I thought I consider this a, a big measuring stick game. In fact, that was literally the title of the preview. Big measuring stick game coming up for the Bills. This was their measuring stick game, and they did not measure up. Simple as that. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'm triggered. I'm bothered, but I feel like last year, maybe even the year before, the losses kind of hurt a little more because I had those Super Bowl expectations, and I don't have them right now. This is a defense that's decimated. Talk to Tone about this actually after we stopped taping uh, our last show. If Milano and Trey White and Taquan Jones were still on this team right now or playing, even if the Bills were five and four, I'd feel completely different. But the injuries on defense are just too much overcome. I said that weeks ago, and you couple that with an offense that has no identity. I think with, um, I don't want to say a relationship between Ken Dorsey and Josh, because I know they love each other and shit, but I think a working uh, philosophy on the offense, then I don't know how much influence Sean has on Ken Dorsey's, you know, what plays he's calling and whatnot, but there seems to be a rift growing between Josh Allen, what he wants to do versus the plays that are being called. Josh even hinted at that during his post-game presser, a brief one on Sunday night. I think there's a little bit of a rift there. So what is this offense? What is their identity? Is Josh Allen going to have tunnel vision because he wants to do things his way? Which I don't blame him, by the way, at this point. There's just too many questions to me. And right now, when I look at the Buffalo Bills, and I'm sorry to say this, I think this is a team that is more likely to miss the playoffs than they are to, to get to the Super Bowl. I really do. And I don't front. I'm a fan. I want to be wrong. And the season's not lost now. There's still opportunity out there. There's still seven games. Still seven games. I'm sorry, there's still eight games um, out there. And the Bills have plenty of opportunity to turn this ship around. All the pieces, you know, the defense might be crippled with injuries, but the offense is healthy as shit. Other than Dawson Knox, and I would even argue the Bills offense right now, with what they want to do in their personnel, is actually better without Dawson Knox. So it's there. The pieces are there. Will the coaching get there? And will the players turn it around? That That's what remains to... uh to be seen. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you very much for watching. I'm going to have Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings on. Spent a couple minutes tidying up a couple points that we've made over the last few days. And then we will get into a uh, preview of next Monday's game against Denver. And I don't even need to tell y'all that they better win that football game. Talk to you tomorrow, guys. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.